probably one of the best rounds or the best 36 hole matches in USGA history there. I mean, that was unbelievably impressive. And I was super happy just to have a front row seat to that. You know, at the end of the day, looking back, it's really fun to watch. And, uh, you know, I'm really proud that I made him go out and earn it. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another Fire Drill podcast. I'm back home after a two-week bender covering the U.S. Women's Amateur and the U.S. Amateur. It was great fun. Um, presuming a lot of you listeners out there tuned in to the USAM, it was a spectacular week at Cherry Hills, and the championship match was was a barn burner. Nick Dunlop prevailed. He is obviously a star in the making and quite a stud, but uh, I think a lot of golf fans' hearts were with uh, Neil Shipley, uh, who put up a great fight and was was a fun character all week. We are delighted to have Neil join us. So thanks for doing this, sir. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate the time. Yeah. So, what has this uh, whirlwind been like? You know, you showed up as a somewhat unknown college golfer, and in the space of a week, became a folk hero and everyone's favorite golfer. And uh, what's what's your life been like in the last forty eight hours since since the amateur ended? It's, it's been a whirlwind, you know, we got back to Columbus and I had team meetings right away, uh, Monday morning at 9am and <laughs> sat through an hour and a half of some uh, compliance stuff and just kind of got back home to decompress. But it's funny, even out here, like I was out in the shady side neighborhood in Pittsburgh, um, a really nice area where there's a lot of shops and like got recognized once or twice down there. I got my hair trimmed up this morning and was in downtown Mount Lebanon and a few people came up and said hi to me. So it's been, uh, it's been quite the adventure. It's uh, a little different. Um, had to make my Instagram uh, public. Uh, I did that this morning because I had I added about 3,000 followers or 4,000 followers. Uh, so it's been, uh, been hectic and different, but uh, I'm just trying to embrace it all. Did you go through and delete any old posts that might be inappropriate for public consumption? <laughs> no, no, we, we've kept it clean and uh, PG-13 for everyone uh, since the <laughs> beginning, you know, got my parents on there and grandma on there. So we're not trying to get myself in trouble anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, wait, wait, the, 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 the big headline that's going to come out of this podcast is you got a haircut. Well, I mean, that's, that's, as you probably know, <laughs> your, your luscious locks were the subject of so much commentary on the telecast that, that that's a big deal. I mean, you're, you're messing with your brand. What inspired oh, that? Well, I mean, we, we took about like uh, about an inch off just to try and keep the hair healthy and, you know, just get it reshaped up a bit, uh, ready for a big growth this uh, fall and a big fall <laughs> season. So um, you got to keep it looking good and it takes a lot of time and maintenance to do that. It's uh, it, it's really is. I put almost as much time into my hair as I do my golf game. So. <laughs> I mean, in the new um, NIL landscape, like uh, I mean, you, you know, Pantene is out there for you. Paul Mitchell. I mean, forget Callaway and TaylorMade. Like you, this is a whole this is, this is a potential revenue stream, right? Yeah, I mean, I was um, I'm you know maybe targeting head and shoulders, become the next Troy Polamalu for uh, the Pittsburgh region. You know, maybe get on some commercials locally. So we'll see what that uh, if anything uh, materializes there. It is funny, you know the. 
having a great run in the U.S. Amateur, it always came with tremendous spoils, the Masters and the U.S. Open invitations and um, other opportunities. But but now, um, have you hired an agent? And the, the NIL stuff is is a real thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, I've been over the summer with some of my good play. I garnered some attention from a few different agencies, and I've been they've been smaller, more boutique, and I've been uh, going through that process of trying to figure out who I'm going to go with. And um, more recently, after this week, had some more people pop up, so I'm going to have to do a little bit more uh, filtering um, and stuff like that to figure out who I'm going to go with. But uh, it's significantly uh, as intending maybe in January or. Uh, February to sign with somebody, but uh, that timeline's definitely gotten moved up quite a bit now because you got to try and take <laughs> advantage of what we can get now and just get things set up and ready to go for the Masters so and have a little smooth transition into spring season. Yeah, that, I mean it's a, it's a whole new world out there. Have have you gotten a lot of uh, old high school buddies and other people who've checked in wanting to caddy for you at Augusta? <laughs> yeah, I mean we've. Uh, <laughs> I think I've said to a bunch of people, or I know my old high school teammate, Jimmy Myers, he's like, oh, you told me you could caddy for me at Augusta. And I was like, oh, geez, dude, you mean you better get in line. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, I've, uh, I've, I don't know who's going to caddy for me out there yet. Um, I haven't figured that out. I know uh, my good friend Carter, who stepped in on Saturday, he, uh, he caddied for Austin Greaser when he made it to the semifinals as well. Um, and he went out to the masters with greaser but didn't caddy for him out there so maybe i might i might put him on the bag we'll, we'll see i'm no promises um not not carter i'm not saying you're gonna be on the bag but um he's definitely <laughs> yeah. on a short list yeah i talked to him after the round on saturday he, he's he's a sweet kid and um i mean you guys go back to what you're 10 11 12 years old and mm -hmm. it sounds like you grew up on kind of a pretty humble nine hole golf course can can you tell folks about your <laughs> sort of your entry into, into, into golf, how you fell in love with it and, and, mm -hmm. and, and where you played and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, when I was really young, I played at uh, Mount Lebanon municipal golf course, um, which is, which is, I actually haven't played in a while. It's not super nice. It's just kind of what you'd <laughs> expect out of a nine hole muni. Um, but you know, I'd play in the Thursday, they had a junior league in the mornings where we'd go off at like seven o'clock in the morning. They'd have tea times blocked off for us for like two hours. And there's a lot of juniors that played. And I think that was a great place to get my start in the game. Um, and then when I got older and more into the game, uh, my parents, we joined St. Clair Country Club, which is just south here of town. And it, it's probably one of the premier golf courses in Pittsburgh. And my parents made a big sacrifice in doing that for me and getting me the resources I needed to really improve. And that's where I met Carter. Um, he was probably 10 years old when I was 13 or 14. And I mean, I kind of took him under my wing from there because um, we just played a lot of golf together all the time. And he ended up following me to Pittsburgh Central Catholic High School. And he uh, was on the team when I was a f senior. He was a freshman. Uh, we won the state championship that year and uh, did a lot of cool things together. We're the only two kids that lived in the South Hills. So as his Uber driver for pretty much the whole year and, uh, take them all around. I mean, we had a lot of, uh, ate a lot of pizza together and uh, a lot of McDonald's, things like that on the road. And, uh, it was uh, tons of fun. <laughs> um, and you don't come from, it sounds like, uh, there's not a, a big golf tradition in your family. Um, who, who actually sent you down the path of, of wanting, wanting to play? Um, you know, my parents don't play. Um, 
But when I was four years old, I think I watched VJ Singh. I think it was, yeah, it was, oh, I think it was the 04 PGA that VJ Singh won. Um, and my dad had a TV on and I was watching. And, uh, you know, the next day I knocked his golf clubs over and started swinging around his, you know, full size golf club in the backyard. <laughs> and from there, he got me my own set and took me to the driving range. And that's kind of how I got my start. I was always a, I always played, uh, baseball and basketball most of the time throughout most of the year. So that was uh, my primary sports for a while. And uh, it wasn't really until maybe my eighth, ninth grade year uh, that I really knew that I wanted to play college golf and do it competitively. Who, who kind of um, brought that dream to life? You mentioned VJ Singh was inspiration, which you don't hear very often, which I think is cool, but yeah, um, uh, were there other sort of mentors or, or, or people who were, were important in, in, in getting you, you know, rooted in the game and, and, and pushing you mm -hmm. along? Yeah. I mean, for sure. Once I joined St. Clair country club, um, it's actually funny. I got a text from him. His name is Grant angle. He was a uh, much older than I was when I was in, when I was in middle school, he was probably a senior in high school. He won the state championship individually in Pennsylvania and went cool. to Ohio university to play golf. And when I was young, that was like the guy I wanted to be. <laughs> um, I, I, I told him that I shot him a text and told him that, and he was, uh, really flattered about it. And it was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, and I think after that, you know, I had my swing coach that I, uh, started with him when I was 13 years old. He's down in St. Lucie, Florida. His name's Way Ishmael and he has a cool story on his own, but, um, he, uh, he took me under his wing and I've been with him since then. And still you text a lot now and he still works with my swing and, you know, it's, we have a really good relationship and it goes beyond just uh player coach and more just as friends now too. That's awesome. It's funny. I was at the 2004 PGA and at Whistling Straits and on the 17th hole, it's that really long, hard par three and VGA. I mean, I think it was like a two iron. He it just, the way he was, he was silhouetted by the lake and the angle I have I said, that might be the best golf swing I've ever seen. And he hit it, he hit it tight. And that was a, a huge moment in winning that, that championship. And, uh, he, he's not a guy that the people name check very often, but, uh, was that someone that you sort of modeled yourself after? I mean, people around you said, you've, you've got a tremendous work ethic. And obviously that was VJ's stock and trade, but, um, with, you know, there's a lot, a lot of golfers, saw Jack Nicholas's swing and they read his books and that became a touchstone. But did you stick with VJ or were there other people who you kind of patterned your game after? Um, you know, when I was watching VJ, I was maybe three years old. Um, so <laughs> that was, you know, I wasn't thinking that, uh, analytically about it back then. Um, <laughs> good point. But, uh, but I think, you know, he has the type of swing with, he has great tempo and, you know, it's a little bit longer, but, which I've always been a guy who historically he's gotten the club a little bit deeper and longer. And I think the way he gets the club back shallowed out and kind of into the slot is something that uh, didn't maybe model myself after, but was uh, pretty um, was something that like we looked at and, you know, it's like, okay, if I can just keep the, get the club in the slot on the way down, especially when I was younger, it's like, you know, if I can get the club in the slot on the way down, you know, I can play golf from there. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, Phil Mickelson told me like the there was one swing of Seve Ballesteros. It was the thirteenth hole, 
uh, of, of Augusta on Sunday from the 1986, he'd watch that one swing over and over on this VHS tape he had <laughs> until he wore out the tape. Like, it's funny how these, these things that get burned into your brain as, as a golfer. So I love that. Um, no, where, where does Oakmont Country Club come in? Because uh, I think people probably heard in the telecast that you did some caddying there. Everyone knows Oakmont is one of the greatest courses in the world, unbelievable U.S. Open tradition. So how'd you get started there? What did you learn? And what was the scene like for a teenage caddy? Oh, yeah. So I, I started there. It was actually, I think, during COVID or right before COVID. And, you know, I just wanted to make a, make a buck or two here and there to for some spending money. And um, it just uh, one, one of my friends who's a member set me up with the Caddy Master. And, you know, I started off back then probably caddying once a week, you know, whenever I was home. And, you know, now it's not as much because I travel so much, but, you know, the ability to play there on Mondays was huge because you're playing one of the most difficult golf courses and you just learn a lot about your game because you really have to have everything there to score well. Um, once you play around there, you know, 10 times, you figure out how to maybe manage your game and get around in 75, not playing your best, but to go shoot 69, 68, you got to have it going. And, uh, think it's just a, it's a great test of golf and it really tests all of your abilities um from ball striking to putting to short game and i think the speed and firmness of the greens really uh it really exposes your weaknesses i'd say it's like doing high altitude training you know if you play a lot of golf at oakmont then you go to a place like cherry hills and some kids have never seen a setup that tough and for you is like oh i i know this golf like is is it sort of desensitize you to tough setups after having an Oakmont background? Definitely. It really desensitizes you to fast greens. I mean, I mean, Cherry Hills is probably running at 12 and a half or something like that. And here in Pittsburgh, 12 and a half is the kind of the norm. Um, and, you know, I think because of that, I felt super comfortable on the greens. And that's one of the reasons my speed putting was probably a strength of mine throughout most of the week. One thing that I, I think people not, might not realize is what a scholar athlete you are. Like, tell the listeners about your academic achievements because they're they're pretty substantial. Yeah, so I graduated from James Madison in three years. I had uh, my degree in quantitative finance, and I had minors in math and economics. Um, and then I just finished up my master's in data analytics. And uh, I think I have a few All-American scholars sprinkled in there. I, I, I'm not really sure which years or whatnot. But, um, <laughs> That's so modest. I love it. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, that one, if, that one's, yeah, that one's not, you know, if, you, if you're a solid student, most guys get it. Um, so, but that's a, it's a good thing to go on the resume. Uh, and it's just, uh, that's been really important for me and my family. My sister was a straight A student um, throughout all of her years. She got into some of the most prestigious universities in the, in the country and decided to go to Notre Dame where my mother went and um, she set the bar super high. And <laughs> even though I was a AB student in high school, I, I kind of looked like a slouch just because of how elite she was. Um, but it was, uh, it was really cool to kind of have her pushing me and my brother along uh, and kind of setting the bar high for us. So now you're a grad student, fifth year at Ohio state you must be a little demotivated to hit the books. I mean, what, 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 after all you've already accomplished, what are you studying and, and how are you going to apply that to your future? Yeah. So I'm getting a, I'm getting a certificate in public management this year. Um, be honest with you. It's something that it's a, 
type of it's the type of program that um, a few football players would do for the fifth years and things like that. So it's not going to be quite as rigorous, but <laughs> I still think it's going to add some value to my uh, skill set just in terms of man- managing people and companies and um, just giving myself a uh, you know giving yourself kind of like a top down look at companies more so and how to uh, manage finances and things like that throughout them because I think a lot of things I did is was, you know, with quantitative finance, we're looking at the little details of financial models or um, pricing options, things like that. Um, or, you know, just how to create diversified portfolios or manage risk. And then in data analytics, it's here's this data set. What is it telling us? Um, and then I think this managing one, managing, managing one is going to help me kind of apply that more towards a whole company. Um, not not saying that I want to do that, but uh, I think professional golf is really what I'm looking to do here after this year. But uh, it's going to be a really good backup plan. Yeah, I mean, Padraig Harrington famously got his like accounting um, certification. He was rated to be a CPA if it didn't work out. I mean, it, it's good to have a backup plan, but um, you might be the only guy on the PGA Tours who can look forward to the Wednesday Pro-Amps because you can like pick the brains of all these CEOs and, and nerd out on some of this stuff. <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. It's it, it's fun to talk to some of my friends who are in uh, finance down out on Wall Street and just kind of see what's going on, or even just look at the markets and just kind of maybe have a greater understanding of the patterns of things going on, especially right now with uh, the Federal Reserve and everything. I'm, I'm going to start nerding out if I get down that line, but uh, <laughs> it's just it, it's 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 cool, and uh, I think it's just an interesting world to be in. I love that. Um... You know, we, we, you and I talked about this, I think it was after Saturday's round. I mean, a year ago, your, your world amateur golf ranking was in the 1700s. Part of that was because, you know, James Madison is a mid-major. You weren't playing in stacked fields and, and the system was kind of weighted against you. But um, I think you always had the belief you could be an elite player. People around you recognize that. But now you're actually doing it. I mean, have you had a chance to think about how much your golfing life has changed in, in one year, basically? I mean... It's kind of crazy to think about, honestly. I've, you know, you, you kind of go along and you improve every day, and you don't really see the big progress from year to year unless you really kind of think about it. And um, I'm just really proud of where I'm at now and what I've been doing. And I don't think the kid uh, sophomore year Neil Shipley at James Madison would have ever fathomed playing in the Masters in uh, 2024. Uh, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it. Man, he probably was picturing masters 2028 maybe um (laughs) but it this kind of the accelerated path that uh i've been on in terms of my development's been just super cool and um super thankful for the opportunities i had at james madison um i think it really prepared me to take advantage of the resources that we have at ohio state because it's it's ridiculous actually all the stuff we have there to help improve and at jmu you had to really use what you had to get better. And I think having more at Ohio State and using that, like I'm using what we had at James Madison's helped me improve a ton. So so now that you've gotten a taste of the big time, I mean, how much does that light your fire and um, make you want to just keep, get to the next level and the next level? I mean, what is the depth of your ambition right now? Oh gosh. I mean, playing with that many people watching you and like in a big field like that and big tournament, it's, it's going to make this uh, first college tournament feel a little bit uh, anticlimactic, um, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, it, it really 
like, I want to get back to that stage. I'm super excited to play those two majors and, um, just, uh, have the chance to compete event against the best in the world. And, uh, you know, I don't see a reason why I can't compete well against them and make cuts and things like that. Um, you know, those guys are really, really good, but, um, you know, I, I feel like I got a lot of game, uh, that could stack up against them. One of the things that always interests me about golf in particular, I mean, every athlete has to learn to perform under pressure as big crowds, uh, the media, all that stuff. And that's a challenge, but you know, golf attracts these kind of lone wolf personalities. A lot of kids gravitate towards it because team sports aren't for them. And, and you're just alone on the driving range and you're living in your own head. And as you have success, all of a sudden you get put on these, these big stages and that doesn't agree with everybody. You know, there's a, there's a personality type that, that, that I think shrinks from that attention a little bit, but obviously anyone who saw your celebration on the 17th hole after you hit it stiff, I mean, what did, what did the crowds do for you? Um, Cause you know, to be embraced like that, probably for the first time of that scale must, must've felt amazing, but also can, you know, you can start, it can mess with you a little bit. So how did, how did you manage that emotion and, and how did it, you know, help your golf game? Yeah, I think, you know, just, not putting expectations on yourself because you have that many people watching or that many people rooting you on, you know, I feel like you can put maybe extra pressure that you, you know, you feel like you have to perform for these people. But, you know, I feel like at the end of the day, if I just thought about hitting each shot as best as I could, and, you know, when you made a big putt here or hit a big shot there, you know, get the crowd hyped up and use that energy. Um, I think that was a big key for me. Those crowds really helped me kind of, spur a comeback there once i won you know 11 and 12 you could kind of feel the energy shift in that uh match against jm and you know we is really cool to kind of use that energy and i mean it got crazy there on 17 and i mean i I kind of blacked out a bit there from the walk from my ball (laughs) to the hole it was just um yeah it was awesome and watching back that video it's just kind of gives me chills that's kind of a moment that i'm gonna remember forever and kind of put in the memory bank of you know, look, I, I can compete and I can, you know, do things really cool like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote this in the moment, but what, what made that such a fun clip, it was just the purity of it, right? Like this has been a very messy golf season on the professional level and it's been acrimonious and it's been all about the money and then everyone's suing each other. And there's all this press conference bitchiness and, I think it's turned off a, a good number of golf fans, but there was something about that moment that was just, it was just so sweet. I mean, it was just pure joy, not just from you, but everyone, everyone around you. And you know, that e- even though you didn't go on to win the U S amateur, to me, that was sort of the defining highlight of the whole thing. Cause that, that's what it's about. I mean, it, it's still, um, it's a big time tournament and all this and that, but there, there's just something that, that feels right about, about the U S amateur. Cause it, it's guys who are just playing their hearts out, there's no paycheck at the end of the week. It's just purely for pride and for history. And uh, I think that moment just embodied the whole thing. So uh, kudos. I mean, that, 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 that's, yeah, it's kind of a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, if, if you go on to have a 20 year PGA tour career, they're still going to be playing that clip. And um, <laughs> it's pretty neat to have transcendent moments in the sport. So uh, let's just go to the championship match. Cause I've been, I wanted to ask you this, like you played incredible golf the next day. And, uh, you know, unofficial 66 in the morning round when, when, when you're done with 18 holes, do you, are you thinking like, dang, I just played some really great golf. I don't have a lead, but was there any sense of being deflated? Like, 
I'm not sure what more I can do here, and I can't shake this guy. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a little tough because, I mean, damn, you shoot five under on a USGA setup, and you'd think you'd have at least a one-shot lead. Um, <laughs> uh, or just you'd be one up or something like that. But, uh, you know, my thought process going into it is like, look, I played awesome. I can keep that up, and there's no guarantee that Nick is going to keep playing that good either. You know, so let's just, let's get out there and let's make some birdies and see what can happen. Um, you know, and I think Nick played just probably one of the best rounds or the best 36 hole matches in USGA history there. I mean, that was unbelievably impressive. And I was super happy just to have a front row seat to that. You know, at the end of the day, looking back, it's, it, it is really fun to watch. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really proud that, I made him go out and earn it. You know, I feel like a, a guy, sometimes if guys play that good, they might have such a big lead going into the 18, you know, after 18 or, you know, going into, you know, a few holes, it's, they're almost out of reach, but I, I kept him kind of within touch for, uh, for most of the match until kind of the end there. And I, I made him go out and make a ton of putts and uh, do something really special. I mean, it's such a cliche that you learn more in your defeats than, than your victories. And what will you take from that final match to kind of propel you forward? Um, yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, watching Nick, you know, he's a great golfer, but I don't think he does. He does a lot of things really well, but I saw, a, you know, you play with great players and you realize like, man, I'm, I'm just as good as them. Like I can do that too. They're not, they're not going out there and doing anything too crazy. I mean, he made a lot of putts and, things like that. But, you know, I've had days like that before too. So, you know, you kind of, when you play with the best players and I realized this too, more so my JMU years when I'd play with great players is like, man, that guy just shot 64. And, you know, I don't feel like he did anything special. He wasn't like going out of his mind crazy. Um, you know, it, I think it makes you realize that to be the best player in the world, you just need to be really consistent uh, and just really uh, persistent in your preparation. That's awesome. Well, it's it's great chatting with you, Neil. Uh, I know you got a lot going on there, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna let you get back to class or the coeds or whatever <laughs> else is happening in your your new life. But um, thanks for taking this time. Uh, best of luck going forward. I think I speak for every golf fan when I say we're cheering for you, and it's it's gonna be fun to be on this journey. So just keep going. I mean, as you said, you, you you're good enough. You, you just gotta you just gotta keep doing what you're doing. So thanks for the time. Thanks, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, you got it. All right. Well, this is Alan Shipnuck. That was Neil Shipley. This has been another Fire Drill podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll be back in your ear soon. And uh, that's the end. I bet big and I played to win. Made a fortune when my ship came in. I ran the table, never thought I could fall. Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball. Now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do 
start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.